He was the face of the New York Yankees and the most admired player in baseball. The captain tells the story of Derek Jeter's life and Hall of Fame career. Catch episodes five and six on Thursday, August 4th at 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN and streaming on ESPN+. ESPN, in partnership with Peyton Manning's Omaha Productions, present Soup with Coop. Cooper Manning invites players and coaches from across sports to share stories and laughs while enjoying a bowl of his guest's favorite soup. When the soup's finished, the conversation ends. That's Soup with Coop. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Adam Schefter Podcast. On this week's podcast, we will be joined by one of the eight new enshrinees into the Pro Football Hall of Fame former defensive back, Leroy Butler, who played 12 seasons and 181 games in Green Bay after the Packers selected him in the second round of the 1990 draft out of Florida State. Butler went on to become one of the most prolific defensive backs in Packers' storied history and was amongst the premier safeties of his era. He led the team in interceptions five different seasons. He was a key member of the defense that guided that team's resurgence that included seven playoff appearances in a nine-season span. And you know what else he did? He helped create the Lambo Leap that will live on for years to come. That came from Leroy Butler, who will be joining us today as the Hall of Fame gets ready for its big induction weekend, where it will welcome eight new members to the class of 2022. Tony Baselli, Cliff Branch, the game official Art McNally, linebacker Sam Mills, defensive tackle and end Richard Seymour, head coach Dick Vermeil, defensive tackle, defensive end Bryant Young, and of course, Leroy Butler. The big story of the week, of course, was... The suspension on Monday morning that the former federal judge, Sue L. Robinson, handed down against Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson. And in the decision, essentially, Sue Robinson ruled in favor of the NFL and said that the NFL had effectively argued its case and proved its point that Deshaun Watson had committed sexual assault that he posed a danger and a threat to the woman he was around, and that he compromised the integrity of the game. And yet, in the end, she handed him a six-game suspension, which I believe infuriated the National Football League, which wanted a lengthier, indefinite suspension, and which now leaves, as we tape this podcast on Tuesday morning, the league in a position where it has to decide whether it will appeal that decision in which NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell or his designee would hear the appeal or leave it alone. Now, there are two very different sides to this. If the league decides not to appeal, there will be more people who feel the way that ESPN analyst Mina Kimes felt when she was on NFL Live on Monday and spoke for many people when she said this, you know, when I first saw the six games, I was surprised. Uh, it seemed low given the volume. Obviously, they didn't consider all of the cases just for them and the severity of the allegations. But feel I wanted to read the report and having read it and I encourage everyone watching to go look at it. 
I find her ruling to be utterly incoherent mm. um, and confusing, frankly. Um, so first, she lays out the allegations, many of which we're familiar with. The NFL uh, accuses Watson of going into these sessions with a sexual intent, bringing a towel that couldn't cover him, ejaculating on the woman. These are details that have been widely reported in the settlements and outside news stories for a very long time now. What is more significant to me was her own findings. And as Adam laid out, she found, essentially, the NFL proved its case that Watson did engage in unwanted touching, that he knew it was unwanted, that the NFL met the burden of a civil suit to prove sexual assault took place. She calls his behavior predatory and even says he can only work with in-house massage therapists from now on. I find this incredibly difficult to square with her ultimate conclusion, which was based on Preston, but also her own interpretation that what took place was not violent. Field, the CDC defines sexual violence as sexual activity where consent is not freely given. I don't understand how she felt the behavior she lies out in painstaking detail did not meet that standard. And I suspect many people who know victims of sexual violence, who have been victims themselves and survivors, mm. probably feel the same way today. And so there is something that the NFL is aware of and will have to live with. If it decides not to appeal, many people will be upset, bothered, angered by the league leaving this decision alone. On the other hand, if the league does go and appeal this decision, think about this. One of Roger Goodell's bosses is the Browns owner himself, Jimmy Haslam. Jimmy Haslam is going to be really bothered if Roger Goodell appeals this decision. And not only will Jimmy Haslam be upset, but there's the risk that it spills over into other NFL owners. If we go to page 15 of Sue L. Robinson's decision, she writes in the footnotes, and I read, the NFLPA questions whether it is quote unquote fair and consistent, close quotes, to severely punish Mr. Watson for his nonviolent sexual conduct and not even charge various team owners who have been accused of similar or worse conduct. So if the league decides to appeal this suspension and then the NFLPA turns around and sues the NFL for disregarding the former federal judge's decision, this is going to wind up in court. And when it winds up in court, that's when some of the points and some of the evidence on other NFL owners will be introduced as evidence. And so that's an important point to remember here, how the NFL is treated or ignored. Similar cases for NFL owners will be a key argument if this goes to appeal and drags out into the season. Does Roger Goodell want that for the men who essentially are his bosses? So there are two really compelling cases here, two really interesting situations, and the NFL office has the biggest decision of the early season to make in terms of whether or not it wants to file an appeal. And we will see what the NFL decides to do here. Meanwhile, in other news, literally as we were getting ready to publish this podcast, the NFL handed down notice that it had notified the Dolphins that the team would be stripped of its 2023 first round pick 
It will be stripped of a 2024 third round pick. It would fine the Dolphins owner, Stephen Ross, $1.5 million and suspend him through October 17th for essentially anti-tampering, anti-integrity of the game violations. These are some of the most stringent penalties imposed on a team by the National Football League. And in this statement, basically, the league accuses the Dolphins of tampering with Tom Brady while he was with the Patriots, while he was with the Buccaneers, in trying to get him to come to Miami first as a quarterback, then as a limited partner, potentially as an executive, and with the Saints in regards to Sean Payton. So there are a number of charges in here that the NFL has levied against the Dolphins. And so one day after Deshaun Watson gets suspended for six games and the NFL is facing this significant decision about how to handle it, then the NFL goes and hands down its own punishment to Stephen Ross and the Miami Dolphins. And you just wonder, right? One day after the judge talked about how there is not equal treatment given to players and owners, well, here's Stephen Ross getting blasted by the National Football League and the organization having to pay for the offenses, the mistakes, the tampering of other individuals. For instance, Mike McDaniel comes in as the new head coach. He thinks he's got double ones in 2023. Well, not anymore. Thinks he might have extra picks in 2024. Not anymore. And this is something that Mike McDaniel had nothing to do with. But now the NFL has come down hard on the Miami Dolphins in some of the most severe and significant penalties ever imposed upon a team for tampering. And also, the NFL said it could not corroborate and find evidence that the Dolphins tanked, which is something that Brian Flores accused them of. Now, it did say that there were conversations that went on. There was statements and language that was used, but it didn't actually prove that that was actually the case. But what the statement did say was that there were, quote unquote, differing recollections about the wording, timing, and context. So really, the gist of the penalties and the discipline on Tuesday Regarded the tampering, but the Dolphins' conduct and behavior also was factored in. All right, now let's move forward. Our guest this week is, as we mentioned, Leroy Butler. And Leroy Butler was one of the more liked and respected players in the Packers locker room. And once you listen to his story and his perspective, you will understand why. I appreciate you taking time mm. in one of the most significant weeks Oh. Not of your career, your life. Yes. Your life, Leroy, right? Yes. Yeah, I crowbarred it in, man. You the goat, man. Come on. Stop, <laughs> stop playing with me. You got to be with Adam, man. Come on, man. What's it like to about to be enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? What does that mean to you, Leroy? I'll tell you this. Um, from a kid that came from the inner city, um, a special needs kid, having a single parent. My mom was my hero. And telling her I was going to play in the NFL. And people doubted it. But for my mom, though, she kept me focused. And actually, Adam, yesterday was her birthday. And she passed away in 2016. Wow. And we used to have these stories about kids uh, bullying me and stuff like that. But 
football to me, it was always the ultimate team sport because I was special needs. I'm going to have 10 other uh, people to help me. Thankfully, that was Reggie White, Brett Fire, and my other teammates, of course. So it means a lot, uh, especially for my family, too. My daughters are having a ball, okay? They are loving it. You mentioned being a special needs kid, and that was one of the things I wanted to ask you. You were born and were in a wheelchair for much of your childhood. You wore leg braces until doctors performed surgery. You grew up in Jacksonville with a single mother with, I think, five children altogether, correct? Yes, yes. So how does somebody from (laughs) Jacksonville with nothing in a wheelchair with leg braces find his way to Canton? I think it had to be... My mom used to put, my mom was amazing. She used to give every, cause I couldn't go outside like the other kids to go swimming, go to sleepovers and you know, all that fun stuff. I had to stay in the house with my mom and my grandmother would come over and they would give me these life lessons. And she was thinking, um, I think God chose you to navigate these rough waters. Cause if you go back if anybody in Duval County, Jacksonville, Florida and the projects, it's one of the worst housing projects you've ever seen as far as crime, poverty, all, all caps, poverty. I mean, it was, it was, it was, oh, you get the point. But it was a kid that was always focused on the NFL. Actually, it was two words and three letters, God and the NFL. That's all I wanted to talk about. Wow. So I stayed focused. And I, I knew it was going to happen because that's all I talked about, Adam. Every single day, I would bore kids. I'm playing in the NFL. And I was a huge Cowboys fan. I mean, I used to cry when they lost. That's when my mom taught me this thing called uh, any given Sunday you may lose. I ain't trying to hear that, mom. <laughs> when they lost to the first Super Bowl against Pittsburgh, Adam, I crawled under the bed. I said, I'm done. I, I, I was just, you know how kids are when you're 11. Yeah. I'm like. We only got one TV, like two stations, and it's the Cowboys on Sunday. And they lost. That's why I saw Mel Blunt when I got in L.A. I said, man, I do not like you. (laughs) My Cowboys. And she explained to me that God gave everybody a talent. You got to figure out what it is. Yours is you have a unique ability to block out anything negative and stay focused. That's why I mean what do you remember about being in a wheelchair, Leroy? Do you remember that? Because I think you were in a wheelchair till you were about eight years old. Is that correct? Yeah, on and off. And here's the thing that's funny about that, Adam. People have been asking me, do you have any pictures? Do you have any videos? We're in the inner city. There was no pictures. There was no Christmas cards with the family dressed up together with wow. the sweaters. No. I mean, we'd be lucky to even see a Polaroid. I heard about it. I mean, but... You know, going back and forth to school, that's why my teachers are actually uh, in my speech, because I love my teachers. They treated me like I was a regular student just because I couldn't read. I couldn't run and couldn't jump. But sitting inside with my mom and grandmother, I learned how to cook. So I do all the cooking in my house. Oh, boy. I just learned how to be a good guy, Adam. It was just so many people used to just come by the house just to see me in the Forrest Gump braces to say they felt bad for me. And my mom said, don't feel bad for him because he's going to be in the NFL. So just, he's fine. And I just appreciate that. That's the image I have of you busting out of these braces like Forrest Gump. 
yeah. to run all the way on, on to become a great football player, land in Green Bay, and now go to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Was that what it was like? It, it was just like that. My sister, who's another one of my heroes, she was fantastic. Uh, I, well, I have an anti-bullying thing, Butler versus bullying, bullying, but it was this one guy who was very obnoxious, and my sister gave him that work, okay? I mean, she came to the bus stop. She said, if you mess with my brother, well, she had a duke so like this. <laughs> one more time. I mean, she put it on him. After that, that guy was like my best friend. <laughs> What's the guy's name? I don't even remember what his name is. It's in my book. Um, I forgot his name, but he turned out to be a great guy, though, because you know how kids are when you're bigger than everybody. Because he wanted me to put some cigarettes in my backpack because they would check his because he's always in trouble. They wouldn't check mine because I'm never in trouble. And I said, no, nah, my mom said, don't smoke, don't drink, don't do these things. And, and I went to the principal's office. I said, I need to call my sister. She said, why don't you call your mom? My mom's at work. She's at her third job, okay? I'm calling my sister, Vicky. And she didn't come with no cape and no letter on her chest. She got there early on her bicycle. She said, none of y'all but not mess with my brother. Just leave him alone. Just leave him alone. But this one guy, oh, you a girl, I can beat you up, man. She folded him up like a suit. I wish it was social media then. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was it was rough in the neighborhood. I don't think people know how bad it was in Jacksonville. You had to fight or act like you're fighting every day. I wake up and there's something negative or a barrier to stop me from getting in the NFL. And I was determined to go through it you ever go back there and revisit the old neighborhood we tore it down tore it down not even there it was so bad they tore it down and they built up some uh different kind of apartments adam it was rough wow. they said it's compared to cabrini green in chicago yeah oh i know that it, it, it's probably worse than that i mean it was just like the carter new jack city or maybe worse but it was a bunch of people there for poverty, for whatever reason, struggling, trying to survive. But I just, I, I always just try to listen every day to the people who my mom, she gave me a list of people who can help me get into the NFL. And those are the people I make knowledge in my speech. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had, happened in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. 
One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Can we get a preview now or you want to just save it for Ken? Oh, no, I, I don't mind. I mean, come on, you're the GOAT. I, come on. <laughs> My teachers, I don't know if I can get past that because I'm going to. Yeah, okay. Without being emotional when I do it. But my teachers are everything. I love them because they don't do it for the money. And my first book was from a police officer. Mm-hmm. I, I've never had a book. I, it's like called a bookmobile. You go in there, you buy books. Yeah. You have the money. My first book was from a police officer. Volunteers, uh, my family, uh, my brothers who... I mean, it, it was like a bodyguard to me and I mm. love they're going to be there. So, you know, people, like military people, cause both of my brothers in the military. So those are the type of people that want my mom wants to be the headline of my speech. I can tell already, Leroy, you're going to cry. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm a I, I, my birthday is July 19th. So I'm a cancer. So we're very emotional people. Oh, I could tell. Yes, because every day, uh, well, every month we let the kids pick out movies, and one of my daughters always picks out the Notebook. That that is that is one of the great love story movies of all time. I would say the top of the list, Leroy. Yeah, I'm with you because <laughs> I always cry the same part of like, and they're like, they all turn like a a, a band, Daddy. I'm like, quit picking this movie. But I'm just an emotional person. But I speak for so many people. That's a beautiful movie. Let me ask this question. What would it mean to you if your mom, Eunice, and Bobby Bowden were there? Oh, my God. Uh, Oh, boy. Uh, That's a good question. Um, Because Bobby Bowden would have presented me if he was alive. Um, Bobby, it's two people my mom trusted with my life. (laughs) Well, actually, it was three. Corky Rogers, my high school coach. Uh, Coach Bobby Bowden and Bob Harlan. She told all three, take care of my baby or I will be back to see you. <laughs> <laughs> so Coach Bowden was everything to me out of me. This guy had one visit and I was a prop 48. He still drove into the projects. I said, Coach, you may not want to make this home visit. You, It's rough. He said, it's worth the drive. Him and Brad Scott, they drove down. They come into the project. And this is Coach Bowden. People, the whole neighborhood... What coach? Because he had the Bobby Bowden show right before the NFL comes on, and people knew that it was like Coach Bowden is over there at 642 Court H. That was my address. He's there to see Butler, and then they didn't people didn't believe it. I was like, Oh my god, are you kidding me? And next thing you know, it was like, I gotta tell your mom that I'm giving you a scholarship because all the schools said you're prop 48. We're going to, uh, we can't offer you. And that was, you couldn't play your freshman year. Coach Bowden came in there and changed my life. I, I couldn't cry because I was frozen. Like, God, is this, are you really helping me this much? I felt guilty that I'm getting all these good things in my life. And then almost, I got a, a sign. You deserve it. Look what you went through. Be the first one in your family to go to college. So that was easy to choose for the state. And what would it have meant to you if your mom, Eunice, were there next week? This well, week. This week, I should say. If she was there, she would have me go over my speech a ton. Which I'm sure you've done anyway. Yes. But we worked on it, Adam's full disclosure, 2009, 2010. 
we worked on the outline of it. Really? Oh, I got it right here somewhere. So you so you and your mom were yes. working on this speech 12 years ago. Yes, we because she was like, be prepared. She said, You remember I told you in fifth grade, be prepared. I said, Yes, mom. Have two speeches. A speech if you make it, which is an A, and a speech if you don't make it, which is a like a C. You know, I never wanted to be like disparaging to the other players who got in before me. I was just impatient because I know it's going to work. I, it worked my whole life. And I had put up some notes. And wow. some of the notes, um, it's just an outline that we did. And my wife typed it up because you can't really, I'll send it to you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but we wrote some notes and we've redid it uh, 14, 2014. I think I was getting really close. I was a semifinalist. I said, Mom, isn't that kind of narcissistic and arrogant to do a speech and you're not even in? Wow. She said, no, what did I tell you about being prepared? I said, yes, ma'am, you're right. And it, it moved some, you know, because when I got married, it changed a lot. I got married in 2019 to Genesis. And she's your presenter now. Yes. So I had to redo it a little bit because she warned me. She said, you're going to have kids and Family, you know, you got to thank people in groups because my mom is platinum. This speech is made for 10 to 12 minutes. I think we got about eight or nine. So I got to shave some people off. So I'm like, mom, we, I do something to honor her. Her birthday was yesterday. Every night until I get enshrined, like tonight, I'm going to release a video on my social media. I did one last night of something she told me or something we talked about. And it would be very emotional because I know my brothers and sisters seeing them. If I don't see them in the audience, if she was there, I think I'll be OK. Because she always told me if you get emotional, put your hand to your mouth like this or think of something funny. So. Those are the two mechanisms that I have that are triggering me if I get emotional. So when you are in Cannes next week, your mom had visualized this, but I want you to go in with a funny story. Just have that funny story in your mind. Know the funny story yes. or funny person or funny joke that you're thinking of. So you have it. So you don't have to think about it at the moment. So you're ready for that moment when you break down, which you will, Leroy, because it's overwhelming. It's the culmination of your life coming to fruition with all the people who have played a part in it and all the people like Genesis, your wife, like your children who've stepped into your life, they're all there to honor you for all that you've accomplished. It is the penultimate moment of a man's life. Yeah, I, it really is. Because I, I, I think about, uh, like my nephews, they're looking at my um, Videos on YouTube. You had a great message to your nephew. You got to tell me what, what you said to him. That was unbelievable. I got a lot of nephews. Three of them I don't even like. One of them is a huge. <laughs> I just texted about him. He's a huge uh, Russell Wilson fan. He lives in Boulder. He goes, um, can you get me a Russell Wilson jersey? I said, no. <laughs> I can get you an Aaron Rodgers jersey. No, I want a Russell Wilson jersey. No, but what did you tell? What did you tell one of your nephews about the honor of what it means to go into the Hall of Fame compared to the Packers Hall of Fame? Yes, I was telling. I was trying to tell him like the levels because he's the one that's a big Packer fan. He said, "What's it like?" I said, "Something to the fact that when you're a Packer Hall of Famer, doors open up for you." 
when you're a Super Bowl champion, oh boy, all the doors open up. But when you are a Hall of Famer, heaven opens up. And God say, here's my honor to you. Now go do something great with it. He said, Unc, I got to write that down. That's too deep, man. I'm only 28. You got, I mean, because that's what it's like when you're a Hall of Famer and you got to carry yourself because I'm still in the community. I still live in Milwaukee. So when kids, they're like, why are you at Pick and Save? And you and I say, because I love you. I want you to see me in the community. I mean, I got to be local. I mean, that's that's what it's all about. So between here in Jacksonville, where I'm from, because I was in Jacksonville a couple of weeks ago, and people were shocked. Like, because they think when you're in the Hall of Fame, you move to like L.A. or New York. <laughs> You're still Leroy. You're yeah. still Leroy, right? Because I got, it see, like my mom is sitting here and saying, don't change. Don't, 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 don't change. Don't. When I made my first All-American team and I met Bob Hope, I flew back to the projects. She said, remember what I told you? I said, yes, ma'am. And I was very available to people and saying hi and stuff. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, this past week, the Packers Hall of Fame unveiled an exhibit oh of the Lambeau Leap. So you got your own exhibit in the Packers Hall of Fame because I know Packer fans know this, but I don't know that people across the country necessarily know this. You, sir, you created the Lambeau Leap. Yeah, that's very emotional. Yesterday, we had a big press conference. Mark Murphy's there, who I, is amazing. And uh, actually, I think Matt LaFleur had a, a press conference either before or after that. And it was, I was like, oh, man, I got to hurry up so people can go to his press conference because I love Matt LaFleur. But it was emotional because they had a, a wall up saying the beginnings. And it had some leg braces like some of the ones I used to have. And as you keep going through, there's a video on my social media. And it gets very emotional because I love my teammates. My teammates were everything, Adam. I love them very much. And that's really for them as well because I represent so many people. But the one thing that really going to get emotional, and I think I'm going to do my ring ceremony um, against the Titans on Thursday night. Um, when they put my name up there, Adam, and it has one team, that's going to mean a lot to me. That's the loyalty that my mom was talking about. How do you come up with the thought of jumping into the stands and creating the Lambo leap the way you did. Can you retrace the history in your own? How does this happen, Leroy? You've been talking to me about what, 20, about 15 minutes, and you could probably see how it's spontaneous. I mean, 1993 was a big year for me because I I got to the stadium and I thought they were going to like forfeit the games. It was so cold. And when I caused the fumble, I'm looking around for the ball. And um, I remember in my head, I'm thinking, Coach Hongram said, if your defensive player gets an interception or a fumble, don't lateral the ball because you're going to fumble it. And I saw Reggie White pick it up. And here's where it really means a lot to me. 
Tony Bennett, our uh, first-round pick linebacker, he's going towards Reggie. He falls. Bryce Pop, another linebacker, he's going towards Reggie. He falls. The field's frozen like 16 below is windy. But God is good, Adam. I didn't fall. I'm running over there, and I said, Reggie's going to pitch this ball. I think Steve was Newski. Sorry, Steve. He's trying to drag Reggie down, and Reggie allows me the ball. I get the ball at him. I'm running down. I said, man, this is so cool. I'm a defensive back. I never scored. It's my first time. I'm going to jump in the stand. Now, I can imagine the fans saying, what's he doing? Why isn't he stopping? He just scored. But I jumped up there and hugging the one people that never gets talked about, your fans. I think it's the best celebration because they're in the worst seats, north and south end zone. And you can get one of your favorite players to jump up there and give you a hug for like three seconds. I just thought it was truly amazing. Did you have any idea when you jumped up there at that moment that you were doing something that was going to last for years to come? No, not at all. Matter of fact, Robert Brooks, our receiver from South Carolina, one of my best friends, like a year or two later, he wrote a song called Jump in the Stands. It was a CD, and he wrote it, did a video, Gilbert Brown's in the video. Uh, Bill Clinton is coming to visit. The president coming to visit Lambeau Field. He comes in Lambeau Field. I say, Robert, you got the CD for Jump in the Stands? He said, yeah, I got it right here. I said, give it to me. He gave it to me. He said, what are you going to do with it? I said, I'm going to give it to the president. You can't give stuff to the president. He can't even get stuff from civilians. I said, hey, man, we pay taxes. He can, he'll, he'll give it to him. He comes over, and I say, Mr. President, my friend wrote a song about the Lambo Leap, and I gave it to him. Adam, he took it. He put it in his which he's not supposed to do. Secret Service is like, hey, what are we? Well, it's the Packers. We're good. It blew up. It blew up. Everybody was doing it. When you score, you were doing it. I scored like two or three more times in my career. I did it. Um, Donald Driver probably has one of the best ones. Robert Brooks is one of the few guys that could jump and turn and sit on the wall. So shout out to Robert Brooks, man. Because if I don't, if I I don't know if he'd have did that song, if it would have blown up the way it was. So huh. shout out to Robert Brooks. Did he name it the Lambo Leap, or did you name it yes, the Lambo Leap? He named it the Lambo Leap. He saw it somewhere. Um, I forgot where he saw it, and it kind of triggered in Lambeau Field, the leap. So in the beginning of the song, he says he got the idea from me or something like that, but I stuck to the wall like Velcro or something like that. I'm not much of a rapper, right? <laughs> but it was brilliant because it was like, okay, Lambeau, we see Lambeau, leap, and, and then he trademarked it. So no other team could get it. Because if another team would have saw it, they probably would have started doing it. But Robert Brooks captured that that legacy. Yeah. If it wasn't for Robert Brooks, then my legacy would be different because, oh, he just jumped in the stands, not that big of a deal. And when Paul Tagliabue left, shout out to Paul Tagliabue, that was, this is awesome. He godfathered it in. You could do it as a celebration. So when Roger Dale took over, it was great. What has been the inventor creator of the Lambo leap meant to you personally and professionally? Well, it's, it's meant a lot because people see me, I'm so accessible and um, I just do a lot of great things in the community. Cause I would like to help people that I don't know. And 
Um, for me, I've, I've started uh, Leap Vodka. Me and Robin Yao, uh, the Hall of Famer from the Brewers, we got together and did Leaping Lemonade with the vodka and the lemonade. And we got that going. And I'm, I'm on TV twice a week. I got radio five days a week. You know, I got six kids and uh, my, my I got, actually, I got six girls. And my favorite is my son. Don't tell my six girls. But my son, Leroy Butler IV, is amazing. And I'm going to tell you why I went came full circle, Adam, because he's special needs. And uh, he's autistic. He's 11 years old. He's almost as tall as me. Wow. And he wear his jersey every Friday because it had got his name on the back. He's, but to me, he may never do the leap. But saying a big paragraph and wait for my answer, that's the leap. So parents with special needs kids, you just never know uh, what can happen. So I'm just so proud to uh, be a part of a family, just so blended. Um, because my oldest daughter is 36 and my youngest daughter is uh, 19. And my wife, when I met her, she had two kids. I had four. We got Leroy together. And we all one big family, and it's, it's truly amazing. So Leroy is the eleven-year-old who has special needs. Is that correct? Yeah. And he's the only child that you have with Genesis. Yes. Yes. And how has having a special needs son changed your perspective? Because you know what, you seem to me like a guy who is always positive, upbeat, happy. You're somebody who I would think would do a tremendous job handling a situation like that oh i'm a helicopter dad oh yeah oh yeah he, he, i take him everywhere with me we do everything together i'm like that with my girls too but they they fight over who wants to keep him his godmother miss witherspoon my mother told her to take care of me and you know little Roy. she said take care of them and she's been great. She gets them every weekend. She takes them swimming, fishing. Wow. Her and my goddad. And me and my wife got it made, Adam. But every Friday, we get rid of all the kids. Former in Florida, but they call all the time. Two, the two teenagers are both in college at Whitewater University. Uh, they live with us until they go back to college. So, people, not Blair, who did my bust. This yeah. Blair, he's not a genius so i go up to salt lake city and i'm sitting there and i'm trying not to smile he said wait a minute i will look all over the internet and i can only find five pictures of you not smiling <laughs> <laughs> how do you want this thing to look i say just like this and he laughed he said it's gonna look like you got brown teeth i yeah. said i said but so i did a poll on my social media should i smile and it was like 78 percent said yes you gotta smile you have to smile that's that bus is going to live forever. Like you, you got, you want people to see your best happy face there, Leroy. Oh, that's a great point. I didn't think about that because that is a fantastic point. And they say it lasts 40,000 years. I don't know how they know that, but I just want people to see that brand. He was a happy guy. He may not have been the richest, may not be the, the biggest house. He has no Rolls Royces, none of that fancy hmm. stuff, but this man was happy. And if you look at his life, he probably should be a little upset, but he was always smiling. So that's just what I'm about. Would you ever have imagined that all this would be coming your way? I know you felt like you'd make it to the NFL. You looked at it, but 
you think back, you played for the Green Bay Packers, one franchise, you've got an exhibit now in the Packers Hall of Fame, you're going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, you've won a Super Bowl, you've got seven children, a great wife, you got all that freedom on the weekends to do whatever the hell you want with her now. I mean, you got it, you got leap vodka, you got the bullying thing, you got everything going on. You know, that's a good question. I'm gonna tell you when I thought about it. This yeah. one I thought about, Adam. Lee Rimmel is our guy yeah. for the Packers forever. Media guy, marketing, he does everything. Historian. I made first team all decade. So I'm just sitting in my locker. So I'm just sitting in my locker. He walks by. Because normally he would tell me how to deal with you guys. He <laughs> said, well, they're going to ask you this, this, and this. Now you say what you want, but this, so just be prepared. So I said, okay, fine. So this time, I thought he was going to tell me that uh, – uh, Summerall and Madden was calling our game or something. Because I say, I always like to know who's calling the game. Yeah. So he would tell me. He said, you were first team all decade. I said, oh, that's cool. He said, no, 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 no. He kind of. That's a big deal. Looked over his glasses. You're going to be in the Hall of Fame. I said, oh, Lee, stop. I said, Come on. He said, no, 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 no. I don't know when. I don't know when. But you're going to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame one day. And that's when I told my mom about it and that's when we started talking about it and talking about it that's when I did start thinking about it but every year I didn't get in I had the same smile and people my fans were like you should be upset should we do campaigns I said no it ain't how it worked and when they gave me my number number 357 Adam um I said what is that they said because there's only 362 guys in the hall of fame and you're the 357 to get in yeah I I mean, that's overwhelming in a way. But my mom always told me about this power. And she said, power is dangerous if you don't do it the right way. Use it the right way. Don't use it to try to prop yourself up. Use it to bring people up. Mm. And I never forgot that. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when you're there and you're around maybe Roger Staubach? Oh, my God. Randy White. I don't know why you brought Roger Staubach. I got a story real quick. 30 seconds. My first year in making a finalist, Adam. This is my first year as a finalist. This is my first year as a finalist. We're in Miami. I get out of the car and see the GOAT of quarterbacks. I told my wife, I ain't got to make it in the Hall of Fame. I met Roger Staubach. My mom used to get a T-shirt. And I would go out and watch the kids play, like, pick up football. And every now and then they would throw me a pass. And she wrote, on the she wrote on the back of my shirt it will mark a 12 star s a s t a r b a c k <laughs> said mom you misspelled it she said everybody knows roger starbuck they know who i i saw him all shit i got a picture on my phone that meant the world to me have you seen him since then no i haven't because you know we all no i haven't but i got a chance to Text with uh Cliff Harris, yeah, who went in last year, I think. Cowboys Hall of Fame safety, and, and I'm, I'm like, do you know what 43 did for me? I mean, Everson Walls, I mean Tony Dorsett, but to see, I, my mom said, well, what would you do if you would have met Tom Landry? I said I would have fainted. I'd have, I was just, I was just fainted. I was such a big Cowboy fan, man. Guess what, Leroy? Guess what? These are now your new teammates. Yes, yes. 
I told Jerry Jones that. I said, man, you just don't know. I was a big Cowboy fan. I was a bigger Cowboy fan than Jerry Jones. So, But he thought it was funny. It was funny. But, yeah. So. You know, growing up watching the Dallas Cowboys as a little boy, I always felt like Roger Staubach, as a young kid, was the greatest quarterback that I ever saw because every time, every single time he got the ball back in the closing minutes with that team behind or tied – I don't think I ever watched a game where he didn't pull it out in the end. It was like watching this action movie where you knew how it was going to end. You knew the good guy was going to win. And Roger Staubach always won whenever I watched as a kid. And we all watched the Dallas Cowboys as kids, right? He was unbelievable, Leroy. Hey, man, Roger the Dodger. This guy wasn't big. He's from the Navy. I mean, he was everything. It was just, he was a nice guy and just... It just made my year being a finalist that year, meeting him. And as you said, I'm there with those guys. Now I said, one day it's going to happen. I'm going to be in a a club with Roger Staubach. I couldn't even sleep. So when they they called me and told me I didn't make it, I said, Mr. Baker, I'm good. I'll see y'all next year. Man, I met Roger Staubach. I hung the phone up, man. I said, nothing's better than that. Because as a kid in the inner city, African-American in the South, where there's racism everywhere, negative, I mean, crime and violence, and you're watching the TV and you see the guy that you want to be like when you grow up and you meet him. And then my oldest daughter said, well, dad, full disclosure, that's how kids look at you now. I said, that's a good point. I never thought about that because I was so much into because uh, we couldn't afford jerseys, so my mom said, I got a great idea. And she was brilliant. She wrote that name. And the guy, you misspelled it. And I said, Mom, you misspelled it. Everybody knows, right? It's America's team. Before I let you go, Leroy, and I thank you very much for your time, I noticed you wearing a shirt saying, take the leap. I'm going to guess that you've got some sort of business venture tied to take the leap. You're not just wearing a shirt. That says take lead. So what do we got going on with that shirt right there? Oh, yeah. Man, you're a smart guy, boy. Uh, <laughs> listen, take the leap is basically Vodka said, take the leap and drink it like you scored. Uh-huh. That's, our, that's our slogan. Uh, because the thing about it is that I think myself is brilliant. I don't even drink. And when I did the uh, lemonade and vodka, the people they were putting together, you don't drink. How you come up with these great products? I think, listen, you're supposed to have a portfolio, right? And you create that. And the reason why I did it, because I used to drive to games and see people tailgating. I've never marketed to people tailgating. I said, man, you know what? It's thousands of people out here tailgating. What? Oh, then I had my own brat. I got my own brat. Leroy's game day brats. Brats and alcohol, that's Wisconsin, right? Isn't that Wisconsin? That's Wisconsin. So I'm just excited. Man. I really am. You know, Leroy, I'm looking down. You came to the National Football League in 1990. I started covering the NFL in 1990. So no. We in, yeah, we, we, st- we came into the league at the same time. And I can tell you this, that had you played in Denver with the Broncos, you would have been a guy or the guy that I gravitated to in the locker room all the time. <laughs> you know what happened? I started doing that with Shannon Sharp. Like I knew Shannon Sharp was Shannon Sharp before he became Shannon yeah. Sharp. You guys are, it remind me a little bit of each other, a little <laughs> bit of each other. You may be a little bit of a happier guy, a happier go lucky guy than him, but 
great guys. And I'm happy for you that this day has come that you've been preparing for, for as long as you have. And I hope that you enjoy the week and all that it entails. It's going to be incredible for you and your family. And I'm grateful and appreciative that you would take the time that you did today in one of the busiest weeks of your life to speak with me and the listeners today. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Uh, 10 seconds, my Disney story. I got my first kiss at Disney. So shout out to Disney. How, how, how'd that? Well, hold on. First kiss at Disney. Get, give me the D. Yeah, 10 yeah. seconds. Leroy, we got no time limits here. Hey, give me whatever you we're got. Done. Hey, uh, my her family took me to Disney. They asked my mom, can I go down there? I'm like 60, almost 17. And we go down there. And we're on um, Space Mountain, I think. <laughs> going somewhere, walking. <laughs> And she said, we're going to go over here and we're going to kiss. I said, if your mom and dad kept us, we are dead meat. She said, don't worry about it. And she just kind of grabbed me. So every time I see the word Disney, I uh, I get a, I start sweating. <laughs> well, that, that that is an example of you having the magical life that you've led. Somebody yes. that overcomes yes. all that you have, of yes. course, would have his first kiss at Disney on Space yes. Mountain. Grew up at Disney. <laughs> there you go. And guess what? This week, you're going to the adult Disney in Canton, Ohio. It's true. That's a fact. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. Congratulations. Enjoy your week. Thanks a lot, Adam. Take care, buddy. How about a guy that comes from the background that he does, that escapes the streets of Jacksonville, that goes on to overcome his health issues that plagued his childhood, that kept him in a wheelchair and in a leg brace. And that vision of him being Forrest Gump and busting out of those braces is very vivid and very real. And then Leroy Butler goes on to play for Bobby Bowden at Florida State before he goes on to become a member of the NFL's all-decade team of the 1990s, which is what Lee Remmel, the great Packers executive, pointed out to Leroy Butler as when he first gained the idea that he could gain entry into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, which he now has. And he's turned his Lambo leap into a business on the side, which is not a surprise considering his personality. And this week now, we have the first NFL game of the season. Now, it is truly in the sense that it is an exhibition game. I know the league doesn't like to use that word exhibition, but this truly is nothing more than an exhibition because you're not going to see Derek Carr and Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs and Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne out there on Thursday night at 8 o'clock Eastern when the Raiders and the Jaguars play in the first game of the year. But what you will see is football, a glorified scrimmage. Yes, backup players competing for roster spots. Yes, but there will be players in uniforms out there playing the game of football, a sign that more games and the season is very near. So that will be worth watching on Thursday night at 8 o'clock. A couple of other things. We saw a number of contracts signed this past week with hold-ins ending. And one of the hold-ins that ended involved the Seahawks wide receiver, DK Metcalf, who last week signed a three-year, $72 million extension that included $58.2 million in guaranteed money and a $30 million signing bonus. So DK Metcalf nailed it. He grabbed the bag. He got paid. And he got what he deserved because he is one of the great wide receivers in the league. And the interesting part about that to me 
was that in the week of the NFL draft, DK Metcalf came to Bristol, Connecticut, to ESPN headquarters to do some pre-draft interviews so that teams could see the kind of guy that he was, aside from him being the incredibly muscular guy that he was, the specimen that he turned out to be in college when he starred at Mississippi. And this was back in April of 2019, and he walks into the NFL studio, and I'm there, and I had been hearing in the days leading up to the draft that he wasn't going to be a first-round draft pick. And he was really looking forward to being a first-round draft pick. And I remember standing with him in the research area, just to the side of the main NFL set, and I said, DK, lots of luck this week. Hope it works out for you, but I do want you to be ready and prepared for one scenario in the event that it unfolds. It sounds to me like you're not going to go in the first round. I know you're excited and optimistic and hopeful that you will, but be ready and be prepared to go in the second round this upcoming week in the draft on Friday night, not the first round. And one other thing that you should keep in mind there, DK, it's really not about whether you go in the first round. It's about where you go and what you make on your second contract that matters. This is a league that if you prove yourself, you'll be rewarded for it. And so don't even worry about where you go. Worry about going in, making a mark, making an impact, becoming the type of player that you can be, and then everything will work out. And he he had reminded me of that conversation a couple of different times, and it was a very interesting conversation that I remembered. So last week when he signed that contract, I thought back to the conversation that we had, and then lo and behold, when we were doing a training camp special on Saturday, on the Back Together Saturday on ESPN and ABC, DK Metcalf came on as a guest, which I didn't even know that he was going to be coming on. And I asked him what he learned and what he remembered about that conversation. Hey, DK, I love getting the chance to talk to you today in this studio because I'm standing about 30 feet from the spot where you and I stood the week before the NFL draft when you were coming out. And I came over to you. You'll remember this, I believe. And I said to you, hey, there's some chatter out there that you might not go in the first round that you might go in the second round. But don't worry, if you go in the second round, this is a league that's about your second contract, not your first contract. Do you remember the conversation that we had, and what have you learned about yourself since that time? Uh, I learned to listen to Adam Schechter. <laughs> 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 right, man, it was just a blessing to go in the second round. Um, but, you know, my, my love for football has not, has not changed, but I do remember that day very vividly in that ESPN studio. And so there is DK Metcalf, who also, by the way, it's worth noting, has a new movie coming out August 12th called Secret Headquarters, where he makes his acting debut alongside Owen Wilson, Jesse Williams, Michael Pena, and Jerry Bruckheimer's action movie. So DK Metcalf gets a huge new deal and gets to launch his acting career next week. Pretty cool to be DK Metcalf and pretty awesome to wind up in the spot that he did, as he and I discussed back in April of 2019, and it meant something to me that he actually remembered that conversation. I also remember the conversation we had here today with Leroy Butler, the now Hall of Fame defensive back for the Green Bay Packers. We want to thank Leroy Butler for his time. I want to thank my great producers, Christina Buswell, Sarah Abbott, for their time and putting this podcast together each week. And I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week when we'll be back with ESPN fantasy analyst Daniel Dopp 
as he breaks down the upcoming fantasy class and addresses who you should take, who you should avoid, sleepers, breakout stars, disappointments, all the fantasy questions you could want answered right here next week. Until then, have a great week, be well, and stay safe.